in this series, you asked for it based off of the Easter survey results. And as I, as I began to study all of the Easter results, I realized that a lot of them could be grouped in, in, into kind of one area that if one area was addressed, it would address everything under it. So because there was a lot of things. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? And I realized if we just honestly fix one area in your life, it'll address all the other areas underneath because this one area is kind of like a central hub of your life that impacts every other area. And so the title of the message today is Why Relationships? Because what I want to talk about is how do we make relationships work? Why are they such a big deal? Why is it so important that I have the right relationships in my life? That, that relationships work in my life, that I'm close to people and I have a level of intimacy in my life that, that only happens through healthy, godly, right relationships in my life. Because we live in this kind of Facebook world where you can have 5,000 friends on Facebook and nobody call Friday night when you're lonely and depressed. And that's kind of the world we live in today. And it's not just unique to our generation. You know, a couple generations ago, Simon and Garfunkel said it best. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. If I never loved, I never would have cried. I am a rock. I am an island. And there's a lot of people today that think that's probably pretty good advice. You know, because I tried it once and I got hurt. And it's just better if I don't get close to people. Because if I don't get close to people, if I live on my island and if I live on my rock and I don't, don't allow anybody to cl- get close again, then I don't have to worry about getting hurt anymore. And so we just made a decision as a church that we're going to make it all about relationships. Like we, we are doubling down on small groups this year like never before because I really believe it is, it is the answer. Being in right relationships is the answer. So I hope that you never get tired of hearing me talk about small groups because I'm not going to get tired talking about it because I know the most beneficial thing we can offer you is environments where you form the right relationships in your life because the right relationships are, are such a key to everything else. Like I don't even want to do marriage counseling anymore. I just tell couples now, just go, go find a marriage small group. Because I, I, I've seen the difference. Like, I, I've seen the difference of you know, doing counseling, and I've seen the difference of a couple joining a marriage small group. And it just seems like the ones that join a small group, the issues in their life are addressed, and they're taken care of, and there's growth. I mean, you sit and talk about it all you want to talk about it. But until you have to actually do life with other people in community, in healthy relationship, there's no real kind of accountability to grow. And so we're doubling down on this this year. My my goal as a pastor is that we have more people attending small groups every single week than actually show up to hear me preach on Sunday. Because again, you've heard me say it, it hurts my self-esteem. I'm simply not enough for you. If, If your only connection with our church is my voice, you're in trouble. You're, you're not going to get the most out of Christianity. It's not going to work for you the way it was designed to work for you. So our philosophy is don't do life alone. Like, like don't do it alone. It doesn't work that way. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to reveal to you why this is such a, a big deal for us. Like, why are we doubling down? Why are we so passionate about this area? And so what I'm going to show you is a small detail in God's word. A small detail with big ramifications for why 
This is so important for why we've got to make relationships work and why Satan is fighting overtime to break relationships. Like, like have you ever wondered, why does Satan want you relationally void? Why does Satan want you living on an island, living on a rock, building walls around your heart, living in a cocoon where you never let anyone close? There's a reason, and it's much bigger than what you think. Let me show you it today. In in Scripture, in the Genesis story, the whole creation story, (coughs) God does something very unique in the creation story. In all of creation, he adds one phrase, one detail to living creatures that wasn't added to anything else. He didn't add it to stars or sun or moon or land or water. But with all living creation, plants, animals, and mankind, God adds a detail, which I'm going to reveal to you today that will help you understand why, again, this is such a big deal. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation. What kind of vegetation? Seed-bearing. Seed-bearing. In other words, inside of the thing, God places the thing for it to have the ability to reproduce after itself. Only in living creation did God make it seed-bearing, where he he literally places the seed inside. The potential is inside of itself to reproduce more like it. Think about this. Only God can take a tiny seed and put an entire forest in a tiny seed. Only God can do something like that. And he does that with living creation because God builds relationally. And I'm going to show you that. Seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. In other words, you reproduce like yourself. So whatever you are, you reproduce after it like yourself. Plants to plants, animals to animals, humans to humans. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kind, and God saw that it was good. What I'm trying to show you is God creates a system here. God creates a process with seed being the key to reproduce after itself, where all things, in other words, multiply out of relationship. All living things for them to to reproduce after themselves, there's got to be a relationship or a closeness that occurs for the seed to come to fruition. And what's really cool is with mankind, those of us that are human being here today, God took his own seed and placed it inside of us. So God created man in his own image, took the seed of God Put it inside of us. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now look at this. God blessed them and said. Now, what's very significant about this verse is these are the first spoken words of God in the Bible. This is the very first thing God says to mankind. The very first thing God says to those of us that are part of the human race is this phrase. And if you know anything about first things in the Bible, first things carry a lot of weight and a lot of importance. So here's the first words to God over mankind. Be fruitful and increase. Multiply. Grow. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Those are the first words God spoke over man, which means our call. God's plan for us, what he created us to do as mankind is to be fruitful 
and multiply. Because when God is in the middle of something, whatever it is, could be your marriage, could be your business, could be your career. When God is in the middle of something, God's plan is that it is fruitful and that it multiplies. That is God's plan. Be fruitful and multiply. So here's the question. Why doesn't it always happen? Why doesn't that always say, why isn't that happening in my marriage right now? If that's God's plan, why isn't this happening in my business right now? If that's God's plan, why isn't it taking place? Simply put, we mess up the very thing that God created to create the multiplication. Because again, God creates a system for this to work. There is a process for seed to reproduce. Those people who have seed inside of them, potential inside of them, you can't just go and create the seed that is inside of you. You have to connect with others like yourself to be able to produce what is inside. So let me give you two truths this morning. First is God, for this process to work, requires intimacy in order for things to multiply. And again, I'm not just talking about naturally or physically through childbirth. I'm talking about in any area of life. Could be emotionally, could be you know, in, in, your, in your marriage, could be in relationally or career-wise. God requires intimacy for multiplication to take place. It is a process that he created on earth. The more intimate you are, the more you multiply. Meaning you can have seed inside of you. There can be potential, unrealized potential and dreams and seed in you that will never take place unless intimacy occurs. And so enter Satan, chapter 2 of Genesis. Satan comes up to mess up the whole process. And again, I'm going to unveil to you Satan's big strategy for your life. Because again, too many of us are short-sighted and shallow when it comes to what we think Satan is doing, when he actually has a much bigger goal in mind. See, Satan is not just nasty and mean and evil to make your life miserable. That is way too shallow to think. It is way too short-sighted to think that Satan is just trying to make your life miserable and he's just nasty and he's mean. No, he has a specific goal in mind. What Satan is actually trying to do is stop this process from taking place in your life. Satan knows if he can stop intimacy, he can stop multiplication. If he stops this, he stops that. And so he has a much bigger goal in mind than than, than what you really thought. So sin is not there for sin's sake, and evil is not there for evil's sake. What he's actually trying to do is get you so messed up so he can kill this process from taking place. And you're like, why do you think Satan wants you broken relationally? Why do you think he wants you hurt and wounded where you don't trust anyone? where people have betrayed you and hurt you and abandoned you. See, it's too short-sighted to think it was just about that relationship. No, he was trying to mess up every future relationship you ever have. He was trying to get you to the place where you never become intimate with anybody because without intimacy, he can kill multiplication because he hates seed. He hates potential. Why do you think Satan's always killing babies? You go to the book of Exodus, and, and Pharaoh is killing all the newborn children of Israel. 
And then in the book of Matthew, in the book of Luke, Herod is killing all the newborn children of Israel. And then even in our generation today with abortion, all the babies that are being killed. What do, what do, you, do you think it's just a... No, there's a bigger goal in mind. See, Satan is thinking to himself, I don't know who they are. And I don't know what they're going to become one day, so I'll just kill them now, and we'll get rid of the potential right here so I don't ever have to worry about their destiny or their potential. Again, there's a big plan in life. Satan hates seed. He hates potential. And so here's the other truth. Satan's goal is to get between you and others so he can stop intimacy from occurring. Because he knows if he messes up your relationships and he knows if he can get your dad to abandon you as a child or get you know, your spouse to betray you and, and abandon the marriage, he knows he can mess you up relationally and get you to this place where you don't trust and you don't connect and you don't get close. Because if he can stop intimacy, he can stop multiplication from taking place in your life. Now it's starting to make sense, huh, why so many of us struggle relationally. Why so many of us have a hard time connecting, have a hard time getting close. Why we'd rather live on our island or live on our rock or build the walls around our heart. Let me give you a modern day example, the whole porn issue. See, porn isn't there just to be nasty and evil and mess you up. And it does all of that. No, but there's a much bigger goal in mind. What Satan is trying to do is he's trying to create a sexual experience without intimacy. Give you a sexual encounter without real intimacy so that he destroys the part of you that becomes intimate. And now we've got all of this research and all of these secular doctors and scientists are discovering all this epidemic of porn in our nation where you've got this generation of young men who think, well, I can binge on porn now while I'm not married. And when I get married, I'm not going to need it anymore. So Satan is creating all of these sexual encounters without intimacy so that when they get married, they don't know how to have intimacy. And what we're discovering now in America is all these these people are getting married and a real woman's not enough for them because of the porn. They think that when I get married, I'm not going to need the porn anymore. And actually, when they get married, the porn gets worse because they're not fully attracted to a real person They like the false, the counterfeit intimacy Satan is providing. That's the whole issue. And it's messing people up right now. If we don't don't allow God to heal, it's messing up. What what do you think the whole, the original, not not current modern day, but but the original homosexual agenda that Satan started thousands of years ago? Great idea. Let's start an entire movement where there's no possible way to reproduce. See, we can't be short-sighted. We have to know what is the big goal? What, 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 what is this real plan? The whole divorce issue. Do you know why God hates divorce? A God is, and let me make this absolutely clear. God does not hate divorced people. God loves people, period. God hates divorce. The, he does not hate people who've been through divorce. He hates divorce. And he hates divorce passionately. You know why he hates divorce? You know, a lot of people think, well, well, he hates divorce because he said I do and he didn't do and, and he left and he didn't, he didn't keep his promise. That's why God, no, it had nothing to do with the couple. It honestly, it has nothing to do with the couple, nothing to do with the vows, nothing to do with the marriage. It's, it's much bigger than that. That's too short-sighted to think. God actually has an entire chapter in the Bible outlining why he hates divorce. Malachi chapter 2. 
And in one of the, one of the verses in Malachi, it says, what does the one God seek? So, so why is it such a big deal? Why does he hate divorce? And why is marriage so important? What is he, what is he looking for? Why is he so opposed? What, what does he want? Godly offspring. Again, it's all about potential. It's all about multiplication. It's all about the fruit of that relationship. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. And again, it's not just physical children. It's the fruit of a healthy marriage. See, Satan knows if he can get you divorced, then he can can kill any potential for children. But not just that. If you actually have children, he can wound them relationally where they don't connect to anybody in the future. If Jesus doesn't come in and heal the situation. The whole Old Testament is about these relational messes and these relational issues and these relational wounds and the relational brokenness. See, here's the thing. The devil cannot steal God's blessing from your life, but he can stop the process of you receiving it. See, God's blessing comes through intimacy. And he can't steal the blessing, but he'll kill the intimacy and stop the process. And so the very last words of the Old Testament, the last verse in the Old Testament is about this relational mess. It says in Malachi, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children. He's got to fix the relational mess. Got to get them back together. Get get these relationships working. Get them fixed. The hearts of the children to the parents or else we don't get this relational mess fixed. That's what's going to happen. Total destruction. It's all going to fall apart. We got to get these relationships fixed. Thank God Jesus enters the scene. And Jesus comes to the scene and he comes to earth and he breaks the curse of sin. He breaks the power of sin. He pays for it so that you and I now have the ability to be forgiven. To be forgiven, to be healed, to deal with the junk of our past, the relational wounds, the hurts, the the brokenness, the abandonment. We now have this ability to be healed and become new creations in Christ. And what's amazing is the last words of Jesus before he leaves earth, when he's ascending to the Father and he's giving us the Great Commission, the very last words of Jesus mirror the first words of God in Genesis 1.28. And Jesus says, came to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, look at this. Go and make disciples. Go be fruitful and increase in number. Go be fruitful and multiply. Make people just like you. Reproduce after yourself. And if you study these words, make disciples, in the Greek, they mean relationship. It can't happen without a connection. That that cannot take place without intimacy and relationship occurring. See, the truth is there's so much potential sitting in this room. There's seed that God has hidden inside of you that cannot happen without relationship. It cannot happen without intimacy occurring in your life. Because relationships produce intimacy, and intimacy produces growth. And multiplication. And the entire Bible is written in a relational mindset. God thinks relationally. The very essence of God is relationship. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a relationship at his core. He thinks generationally. It's why he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's got this relational view. 
It's the difference between Greek learning and Hebrew learning. We in America, we've adopted the Greek learning culture. in, In Greek education, your degree was named after what you studied. So if you studied medicine, your degree would be in medicine. Or business, your degree would be in business. In the Hebrew culture, because it was relational, because it came from God, your degree wasn't in what you studied. Your degree was who you studied under. So my degree would be in Tommy Barnett, or my degree would be in Chris Hodges, my pastors, and that would tell you everything you need to know about who I am. It's who my degree is under, because it's relational. It's a different view. So as a church, as followers of Christ, we have to make relationships work. These are critical for us to figure out. And so what I want to do today is I want to show you kind of the four, what we call the four aspects of our life, the four areas of who we are, so that you can kind of see how you're put together a little bit, so you can figure out how to begin to make these things work in our life. The first area of our life is the arena. The arena is I know and you know. It's the public me. It's the side of me that I know about and I'm showing you this is who I am. And and, and the public you is fine. The problem is there's many people that stay there. There's many people that never let you behind the veil. They never let you behind the mass. It's, it's all, all, all we know is just the public you, the side of you that you want us to see, but we never see behind the curtain. And that's dangerous. Paul said it like this, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, so it's not just teaching and information, but also our lives as well. So I'm not just trying to disciple you with a bunch of information and a bunch of education, but I'm I'm giving you my life. I'm, I'm letting you behind the curtain, behind the veil. I'm sharing myself with you. I'm letting you close. Because again, Paul understood that intimacy produces growth. I remember when we launched our, my, my first men's small group here at the church about five years ago. We met at Panera. There was a group of guys that would meet with me. And the way we would do the small group is I would just ask the guys, where are you at spiritually? Like, what's the condition of your soul today? Let's just, just be honest. Just, you know, the condition of your soul. And I love men because men are predictable. I mean, we, we men, we're, we're very, you know, easy to figure out. You know, it's, it's just like, because we're very predictable. And, and the first four to five weeks of our small group, it looked exactly the same every week. You know, I'd, I'd say, all right, let's talk about the condition of our soul. Go first. And I look at the guy on my, my right, and, and he would start, and he would say, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, and, you know, the job's pretty good, and, you know, life's pretty good right now, and the marriage's pretty good, the kid's pretty good, you know, everything's just pretty good. You know, because that's men. You know, and then they, we moved to the guy next to him. Well, I'm doing pretty good. And, you know, life's pretty good. And, you know, wife's pretty good. And, you know, car's pretty good. And job's pretty good. And, you know, kids are pretty, everything's pretty good. You know, I mean, it was like literally four or five weeks. I'm pretty good, pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. I mean, it was like that's all we got for four or five weeks. I mean, it was like just so predictable. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, let's just be honest. It's the arena part of who we are. Pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. That's all I want you to see. Then around the fifth or sixth week, one of the guys got brave enough to finally take the mask off. And he said, you know what, guys, I'm not pretty good. Let me, let me be honest with you. And all, I, I started hearing things in that song. I can't even repeat on this stage some of the stuff I heard in that group. But I'll tell you what began to take place. Men began to grow. 
they began to bear their souls to one another. They began to, to deal and overcome. And, work. and some of the greatest leaders in our church today came out of that group. Some of them are leaders of leaders. Jim Castleman, who leads men's small groups in our church, came out of that small group. Because when we get honest, so, so men especially, and this is for women and men, but, you know, sometimes women, are, it's a little easier for them to group than us men. Men, let me say, you need intimacy in your life. And, and, and let me make it clear, because I know some of you are thinking, well, I've got my wife. No, you need more than your wife in your life. Because who are you going to talk to when you're mad at her? I mean, let's be honest. When you're mad at her, you're not talking to her about it, are you? So let me say it like this. There is seed inside of you. There is potential inside of you to be a better husband than you're being right now. And that potential is never going to come out through godly intimacy in your life with other men. Like if you don't get some godly men around you and some godly friends around you, that potential to be a better husband is never going to multiply. It's never going to increase. To be a better father, to be a better mother, to be a better wife. We need relationships in our life. If we're without intimacy, growth cannot occur. God rigged the system. It's a process that he created. The second area is what we call the mask. The mask is I know, but you don't know. Like, I'm not going to tell you what's behind the mask. I've got some secrets that you don't know about. And, and it's okay. You know, it, it's okay. You don't have to tell everybody everything, but you have to tell a few people everything. Because here's the truth. You're only as sick as your secrets. You're only going to grow as far as your secrets. If, if, you don't, if you don't learn to get some people in your life that you trust, some, some godly men, godly women in your life that you can be intimate with and you can share some of those skeletons in your closet and some of those dark secrets with them, you're never going to grow past. You're only as sick as your secrets. And this is critical. God's entire healing process in our life is based on confession. Proverbs says, whoever conceals their sins... They don't prosper. They don't multiply. They don't grow. Nothing happens. They're just stagnant. They're not going to see anything productive. But the one who confesses and renounces them, they're going to find mercy. They're going to find growth. They're going to find freedom. And some people think, well, that's talking about God. No, it's not talking about God. The Bible doesn't say it's talking about God right there. See, God's job is to forgive you, but it's not God's job to keep you from doing it again. James clarifies it when he says, confess your sins not to God, but to each other, to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. This is the power of small groups. When you get the right relationships in your life, and again, it doesn't have to be everyone, but there needs to be a couple people in your life that you can, you, you, you can be on. You say, man, I want to kick a puppy right now. Like, I'm just mad. Like, and they're not going to judge you. And like, some of you are judging me right now for that. But I mean, there, there's days where, you know what I'm saying? There's days where, where you're just having a hard day. And you need to have some people in your life where you can, you can bear your soul to. I love honesty. And you know what? So does the world. Look at any athlete that has failed and gone through a scandal. The athletes that try to cover it up, the world crucifies them. But the athletes, no matter how bad the scandal is, if they just come out and say, man, I blew it, I was wrong, we are so quick to forgive. And we are so quick to give them another chance. A value honesty. Like in my family with my son, we basically have one rule with my son, and that's honesty. Like if you lie to me, it's over. Like game over for you if you lie. Now, if you are honest with me, there's no consequences. I don't care what you did. If you tell me about it first, if you're honest with me, there is no consequence. 
Because I value relationship over behavior. Because if the relationship is there, the behavior will always follow. But, but, if, but if relationship gets severed, I'm in trouble. And there's been times where he's come to me and told me things, and I'm like, I wish I didn't have that rule right now. Like, I would kill you right now if I didn't have that rule. Like, man, I mean, there's some things he's, you know, like, but I value relationship. It is the most important. King David says, you desire honesty, God, from, from the womb. God, you're looking for honesty. So let me, let me give you a big truth about Christianity that hopefully this will liberate some of you because I know some of you have struggled with this. God is, an attra- God is attracted to honesty, not perfection. So many of us think that we got to get our act together and we got to be perfect and we got to, you know. No, God doesn't need you to be perfect. God's okay with you messing up. God's okay with you making mistakes. What God is looking for is someone who will be honest about it, somebody who will be transparent about it, somebody that won't hide the fact that you don't have it all together. That's what God desires. That's what he's looking for. See, somebody saying we got to get it. No, no, God just wants you on. Let me say it like this. God knows what you did last week, and he still loves you. I don't know if you ever thought about it that way, but God saw what you did last week, and he still is crazy in love with you. He just wants honesty. Here's the next area. We call it the blind spot. This is where you get in real trouble. That's where you know, but I don't know. See the pattern forming up there? You know, but I don't know. That's like, you know, body odor. It's like, you know, spinach in the teeth, the hanger in the nose. I mean, you know, it's like like you're not seeing it, but everyone else is seeing it. And that's where life gets dangerous. How many of you have ever seen the auditions on American Idol? You know, the people that can't sing at all? That doesn't reveal to us that they can't sing. What that actually reveals to us is they don't have any friends. Like nobody in their life loves them enough to tell them, you shouldn't do this. Like, like I know you love to sing, but this is not your gift at all. That, that's what we really find out about these people. Like I love that verse, honest from the womb. My son has been honest from the womb. I remember when my son was one years old, my, my wife used to sing these lullabies to him, putting him to sleep at night. And she's got this beautiful voice. You know, she sings on the worship team. And, and they don't let me sing on the worship team. And there's a reason why they don't let me sing on the worship team. And so one night I'm, you know, home alone with my son. And, and I, I decide I'm going to sing him one of these because my wife's gone. I'm going to put him to sleep. I'm going to sing him one of these beautiful lullabies. He's like one years old, little baby. And so I start singing this beautiful melody from my voice, and all of a sudden he wakes up, and lo- looks at me, and puts his hand over my mouth. <laughs> like, sometimes honesty hurts. You know what I'm saying? It's painful. But here's the truth. There's a lot that you can't see. You've got blind spots. And, and when you're going through, you know, like, like when you're mad and you're in the middle of a problem— you're the last person in the world that should be giving yourself advice. Can I just say that? Like, it's so funny to me, a married couple, they're all fighting and mad at each other, and they come in for counseling, and then they say, this is what we think we should do. You're the last people you should be asking what you should do right now. Like, you're mad at each other. You need someone else to help you right now because you're not seeing clearly. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's to see, it'll, it'll lie to you. In other words, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. In other words, you don't see through these eyes. You see through these eyes. You don't see life the way life is. You see life through a filter of your past experiences, through your past hurt, through the baggage of your childhood, through the pain that you've been through. You see life filtered. You, you have blind spots. And we like to get defensive about our blind spots, don't we? 
Like we don't want anyone touching our blind spots. But here's the truth. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. It may hurt what they have to say to you, but it'll be the greatest wounds you ever receive because they're, they're loving you and they're talking into your blind spots. So here's the thing. Who have you given permission? Who have you allowed into those places in your life that can speak some truth to you even when it hurts? Because the truth is we all have blind spots and we got to give permission to people to speak into our life. Here's the last area, and this is what I get most excited about. And again, to me, this is, this is why I really get excited about small groups, because this is where this takes place. Potential. Potential. This is the area of you that you don't know and we don't know. Like, none of us can see it, and you can't see it. In other words, God has hidden things inside of you. Like there is seed that God has hidden inside of you, potential that God has placed within you, and you're never going to know it's there until you begin to connect with others. You're never going to know it's there until intimacy takes place and you get into the right, strategic, healthy, godly relationships, and those things begin to grow in your life. God rigged the system that way. That there are things inside of you that are never going to come out until you get into the right, healthy, godly relationships. Because only through intimacy did you discover what you can really produce. Paul says it like this. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Like it's all fit together perfectly and it's, it's intimately connected as each part does its own special work. Look at this. As each part kind of gets into its place, fits together, gets connected, it helps the other parts to grow. So the other parts can't accomplish what they're called to accomplish if, if there's parts missing. Let me say it like this. My hand right now is intimately connected to my arm. Like you open up my hand, you're going to see some like intimate you're going to see some gross intimacy. I mean, like veins and nerves and like it's all like connected together and blood. It's just nasty, but it's intimate. Like it's close. Like it is just intimate and close. And my hand can't do its job if it's not intimately connected to the arm. And the arm can't do its job if it's not intimately connected to the shoulder. Like it's all got to be connected for it to work. If my hand decides I don't want to be intimate with the arm, I'm going to be in trouble. Like, it's not going to accomplish a whole lot or do anything for me. It's probably going to, like, turn green and fall off or something. Like, if it decides it no longer wants intimacy with the rest of the body. That's why small groups are so important for us. Dream teams are so important for us. Because we are always better together. In other words, we is always better than me. I'll never be as good by myself that I will be with you as my family. Like, I'll always accomplish more in partnership with you as a family than I'll ever accomplish by myself. When we all get fit together, we discover what our full potential is. So, so as we close today, let's, let's ask the question, why don't we do it? Like, like why, do, why do we still, if knowing all this to be true, and we see it you know, biologically and physically and every, why don't we connect? Why do we still struggle relationally? Why do we have a hard time being close to people? Well, two reasons. Number one, people. Isn't that the truth? Like, like I, I have no problem connecting relationally with people if it wasn't for people. Because I tried that before. And I got hurt. And I got wounded. And I got betrayed. And I got abandoned. 
So if it wasn't for all these, like, just leave me alone. Let me be my rock. Let me be on my island. If I had no, you know, need for friendship, you know, friendship causes pain. If I never loved, I never would have cried. Isn't that the sentiment? And so what we now have is we got people making terrible decisions about their life because they're making decisions out of the wounds of their life and the hurts of their life. And honestly, as your pastor, I wish I had a magic wand that I could wave and, and, and heal all of your relational mess and all of the relational wounds and all of the abandonment issues and the hurt and the pain and the betrayals that you've been through in business and in marriage and life. I wish I just had a wand and I could, you know, heal up all the relational mess that you've been through. Because I know if God healed you, it would produce the most amazing amount of security in your life. And that security would produce the most incredible amount of vulnerability. And that vulnerability would produce this just amazing intimacy. And that intimacy would produce in you such incredible growth and incredible increase and incredible multiplication in every area of your life because it's the process that God created. So how do I get there? Well, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. You've got to forgive. You just have to forgive. And you got to allow Jesus to heal you. And you got to be willing to take another chance. And, and here's the thing time doesn't heal, time will make it worse. Only Jesus can heal the situation. And then the other reason we struggle relationally is pride. Pride. We don't want anyone to know that we don't got it all together. We don't want anyone to be close to us. Like, like if, I let, if I let some people close to me, they're going to know that I'm not Superman. Like, they're going to know that, that like, like, I'm struggling right now in my business, and, and my marriage isn't where it really needs to be, and, and, you know, I've got a kid that doesn't like me at all, and, 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 you know, if I keep people away, then at least they can assume the best about me, but if they get close, they're going to see the real me, and so pride keeps us at a distance. And you're in the situation you're in today relationally, good or bad, because of the relationships in your life. You're either, like, incredibly well-adjusted and emotionally healthy because of the relationships you've had in life, or you're not because of the relationships. You're just a reflection of your relationships, good or bad. And so we've got a choice to make. We can either make the decision that because I'm a mess and I'm broken and I'm hurt and I've got all these wounds because of the relationships in my life, then the best decision for me is to stay away from new relationships or stay away from relationships at all. Because I don't want to risk getting hurt again. So that's one choice. It seems right, right? I mean, that's, that's the logic of Simon and Garfunkel. But I'm telling you, it doesn't work. Or, or we can make another choice. We can become very intentional about our relationships. We can make a decision today. You know what? I'm going to be intentional about the relationships in my life. I'm going to be strategic about surrounding myself with the right people. And again, this is the heart behind small groups. We're not doing small groups to try to keep you busy. Like, we don't need things for you to do as a church. It's not about that. I'm simply trying to create environments for you to form healthy relationships. Because I know those healthy relationships are going to produce some intimacy. And intimacy is the process that God requires for multiplication and growth. For you to become the husband you need to become, you need some godly intimacy with some healthy men in your life. For you to become the mother you need to become, you need some, some intimacy with some godly women in your life. The business person, 
the career person, whatever it is, whatever area of it it is in your life, without intimacy, there's not going to be any growth. It's, it's, it's the way God rigged it. And so it's time for us to make a decision. Am I going to choose to be intentional about the relationships in my life? Am I going to you know, surround myself with the right relationships so that this process can take place? And it's powerful. Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? Before we leave today, the, the number one relationship that we need to address is not your relationship with the church or with the small group or even with each other or your family even. It's your relationship with God. If you want to grow spiritually, you want to mature spiritually, intimacy with God is required. It won't happen any other way. Education isn't going to do it for you. Information is not going to do it for you. You can listen to the Bible being taught every Sunday to the day you die, and it's not going to mature you a bit if you don't get intimate with God. And so I want to invite anybody here today that needs to take the first step of giving your life to Jesus today, of beginning a relationship with Jesus. This could be your very first time in a Christian church. And what I'm asking you to do is simply say yes to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'll give you my life. And then there's some of you that are here today who you need to come back home. Like you've been away from God for too long. You've lived for too long with God not being the priority of your life. And it's time for you to come back to God today. And here's the thing. God's not mad at you. He's not frustrated. He's going to celebrate when you come home today. He's not going to berate you, hold your past against you. He's just going to celebrate you coming home today. And so before we leave, I would like to pray with you. If you're here and you would say, you know what, I want to give my life to Jesus today, or I want to come back home, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. You don't have to walk to the front today. You don't even have to pray out loud. You can pray your heart to God's heart this morning. But if you're here and you'd say, you know, that's me, you're describing me, and I, I need to pray with you, with no one looking around, this is just so I know who's joining me, would you just very quickly slip up your hand so that I know who's going to pray with me? Right now, just slip up your hand so that I can see who's praying with me. Thank you, thank you. Is anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Say, so, you know what? I need to pray. Thank you. I thank you for those hands. You can put them down. The prayer is very simple. In your heart, would you, would you just invite Jesus to be first place? Say, Jesus, I invite you to take first place in my life. Say, Jesus, will you forgive me for all the times you haven't been first? And then lastly, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. Amen. You can look up.